Hello, and welcome to Small Town Mysteries, a show where three longtime friends from Massachusetts tell crazy and heartbreaking true stories, filled with the extra flair of small town mystery. I'm Kate, here with Christine. Hello. And Rachel. Hello. Bringing you our next episode on George Carroll and Jacqueline Thompson. But before we hop into that, I'm going to toss it over to Christine, who will be highlighting our missing person for this week. Christine? Okay, this week I am highlighting Lori Page. She was born April 14th, 2011, and was 12 years old at the time of her disappearance. She has black hair, brown eyes. She is five feet, weighs about 120 pounds, and she is black. She has ties or may visit Tallahassee, Florida, Tampa, Florida, Thomasville, Georgia, or Nashville, Tennessee. Both the FBI and the Tallahassee Police Department in Florida are seeking information from the public regarding her disappearance, and she's been missing since June 3rd, 2023 from the 1200 block of Continental Court in Tallahassee, Florida. The FBI is offering a reward of up to 15000 for information leading to the recovery of Lori Page, and if you have any information concerning her, please contact the FBI's Jacksonville Field Office at 904-248-7000 or the Tallahassee Police Department at 850-891-4200. You can also contact your local FBI office, the nearest American Embassy or Consulate, or can submit a tip online at tips.fbi.gov. So we will have a picture posted to our Instagram at Small Town Mysteries Pod. We'll have that posted there so you can take a look if you're from around the area or from any of the areas that I listed and see if you've seen her or have any information. Thank you, Christine. Uh, we'll have that information up on our Instagram account at Small Town Mysteries Pod. Uh, hopefully the day that this episode comes out, I will say we have not always been super on time with posting the missing person information. That is due to human error. So, uh, yeah, thank you for that. And I'm going to pass it over to Rachel, who's covering two cases this week. I think both are listener suggestions. Yes, they are. Love a good um, listener suggestion duo. All right. So today I'm going to be talking about George Carroll and then also Jacqueline Thompson. So I'm going to start with George Carroll. So this is a listener suggestion from Katie. So thanks, Katie. Thanks, Katie. So George Carroll disappeared from Lake Grove, New York in 1961. He was never seen again, and a missing persons report was never filed. The Carroll family finally got some answers in 2018, so 57 years later. His remains were found in the basement of the Carroll home. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what? So yes. that explains why a missing person report was ever filed yeah but how I, is that not seen as suspicious he didn't have anyone that was like this person's missing yeah it's the no missing persons report that gets me the mom like the mother basically there was four kids of his okay um the oldest was nine and then the youngest was eight months okay so they were little um yes little and whenever they would ask, like, questions growing up, they would be shut down. It's not important. Don't ask. Like, when they'd be like, where's dad? Or anything like that. Just shut down. Okay. 
So they were very much raised to think that him being missing was not a problem. Yes. So then the older family members who would have contributed to his death and hiding his body in the home could therefore shut down any like questioning from the okay because that was my question is like how did the kids never like even once they were adults file a police report and be like hey this is suspicious but i guess if you've been conditioned to believe that it's not a big deal it's not even that that gets me it's that like he didn't have siblings or i mean unless they were the ones that did it he didn't have friends who like no one that was an adult yeah that's a good point this was also in the early 60s. So like of course, so there's no that group probably chats. does play a role. Yeah. yeah. And also like he was a war veteran mm. too. So like who knows how long he was gone for and all those things and yeah, I guess with like history of people maybe in the past he traveled a lot or he moved around, mm-hmm. so who knows. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about rumors and stuff, but like they do kind of go back to Maybe he, like, ran back to Korea because he served in the Korean War. But, like, mm-hmm. I- I'll talk about that more later. But I think yeah. that's, like, ridiculous. Like, why would you go back to where there was a war? What? Yeah. So his, like, per- he- his personality and his history maybe would make people believe that it wouldn't be so out of the realm of him just kind of, like, disappearing somewhere. Whereas, like, for someone like me or someone like you, we'd be like, where the heck did they go? That's out of out of character. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll get into Okay. That. Okay. But also, before, like, I really get into this, I also want to say that, like, it comes kind of clear who's responsible for this murder. I think we've already kind of figured it out before we even got there. Um, But the thing is, they're no longer living. Okay? So, like, I don't want to speak ill of the dead. But. But, like, I. Yeah. You will probably uh, pretty much get my own thoughts throughout this. But, of course, I'll let you guys come to your own companions. Companions. (laughs) <laughs> your own conclusions and draw your own opinions <laughs> perfect in 1961 george carroll disappeared only eight months after his youngest son michael was born he had three other children which i'll talk about more in a little bit so let's time travel a little bit we're throwing it back to 1961 so john f kennedy was sworn into office as president of the united states in 1961 West Side Story made its debut on the movie theater screen. Yuri Gagarin, a USSR astronaut, was the first man to make to make it into space. So, like, 1961 was a pretty big year. Huge. So, where was George in 1961? George, a Korean War veteran, like I mentioned earlier, was born on January 21st in 1933 in New York. In 1961, George was living in a small cottage on an isolated road called Olive Street in Long Island, New York. George, <laughs> that was so bad. So bad. I know, At so first, bad. I was like, "Did she just say long like in a very weird way?" And then you kept on with the accent, and I was like, "Oh, she was trying to do an accent." <laughs> <laughs> We're having such a day today, like collectively. George lived with his wife, Dorothy, and their four children. Patricia, who was nine at the time that he disappeared. Jean, who was seven. Stephen, five. And Michael, eight. So George just went poof one day. He went to work one day and never returned home. Naturally, George's children were curious what happened to their father. However, growing up, when Michael would ask about his father, he was always immediately shut down. And eventually he stopped asking. 
I think that's reasonable if you ask a certain number of times and they're like, don't worry about it. It's nothing. It's you just stop asking. Yeah, I get that. And like, obviously, like this is really sketchy just in itself. Like the fact that their mother would just shut down any conversation pertaining to their own father is super sus. I agree. Another thing which is like strange is that some places you'll see that he went missing in 1961 and others will say 1963. And I think that's also because he kind of just disappeared. It wasn't like nobody really had tabs. So like it goes kind of back and forth. I just went with 61, but who knows, honestly. All right. So let's talk about Lake Grove. Lake Grove is a village in the town of Brookhaven in Suffolk County, New York. The village itself is only three square miles, which is so tiny. The population in 1970 was a little bit over 8,000. And then the population in 2020 was about 11,000. And then every single time I look up a town, I always like to go to the bottom to see if there's any famous people from that town because, you know. Mm-hmm. And course. guess who's from Lake Grove? Who? John Bellion. I love him. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. So life after George disappeared. So not very long after George's disappearance, a man named Richard Duress moved into the home on Olive Street. And then eventually they got married by Richard and Dorothy got married and had a child okay. together. New new man, old man, question mark. But <sighs> Okay, so there wasn't a lot of mark. like information about this stuff like I couldn't find exactly like how long before like they were dating was there an actual affair like all that stuff I'm not really sure because I would also wonder for legal reasons presumption of death like if he had been gone long enough for there to be a legal presumption of death making her legally single or like was she still legally married to George when she married the new guy like that that's just where my law-oriented brain goes but normal people may not think about that right Um, and how would she apply for a new certificate if that was the case without saying oh yeah my husband's missing things were different in the 60s i guess so It's, it's probably a good blanket answer to that i feel like a lot of things just got like swept under the rug and people just like looked the other way like so much was going on at this time that it kind of just didn't yeah get picked up In the early 1980s, Richard and Dorothy got divorced, and then afterwards, Richard moved to a Mexican city near the Texas border, and he died at the age of 77. One thing that I did find, which I only saw, I think, like, one source, so I don't know how legitimate it is, is that Richard was a handyman. So, people on the internet hypothesized that he was involved in the murder, and then buried him in the basement, so nobody would ever find them again. That... I guess would make sense with his specific set of skills. And it really sucks that he ended up dying because he died before 2018. So before his body was discovered. And that just sucks because then there's someone who might have answers. I don't want to say he definitely would, but could have answers and he's dead. You know, it's like you can't even ask him at that point. It's frustrating both in the sense that there's no closure because... You have a body, but you don't know if this man was involved because he's dead and he can't, you know, own up to it. But also because he can't be criminally prosecuted. I know, like, that happens. Mm -hmm. um, That's, like, a common feeling with people who lose a loved one and the killer dies before they can face prosecution. That they feel like justice hasn't fully been served. 
I feel like it would be really hard, though, to prosecute him at that point anyway. Yeah, I doubt you'd be able to. I more just feel I feel bad for Michael in this case because he figures all this out and then realizes that I don't know exactly. I couldn't find exactly when he died. But based on like the articles I read, it seemed like he died like pretty close to when the remains were found. So it was just like he was so close to getting the answers, at least trying. Mm -hmm. And then like that was just ripped away from him. I imagine that would be devastating. Yeah. So rumors about what happened to George, because obviously you're going to have rumors, but like most of the rumors that I'm going to talk about are rumors from other family members, which I is strange to me because usually when I think about rumors, I think of like rumors from neighbors or from like just local people in the community, not rumors that stem from your family members. So some of George's family said that he must have run away back to Korea, like I said, but that just doesn't make sense. Why would you? Why? Yeah, I don't think that seems very plausible. Unless we're, like, missing information, mm-hmm. then I don't see that. Yeah, I guess if these were people who knew him and are right. suggesting that, then maybe it's more viable than I, a random stranger, would think. But from a completely unbiased, like, I don't know this guy standpoint, it does seem like an odd yeah. choice. Mm-hmm. Others suggested that George was murdered and then buried in the basement, which was actually what happened yeah so that's a little prophetic because also at the time when he went missing the basement was under construction yeah i Mm -hmm. mean there you go that's us yeah that's that's really convenient all right so now i'm going to talk about finding the remains so michael bought the family home from his mother right before she died in 1998 because something that really comes to my head, too, is that if she was involved in this, why did she sell it to him? I was just thinking that. Like, why yeah. keep it in the family if you know that there's a dead body buried in the basement? Like, I feel like the best thing to do would be to, like, sell it as soon as it's not suspicious, you know? And then it's in someone else's hands and you can kind of be like, oh, yeah, that's a, oh, no, my God, a body? That's so weird. Like, that wasn't there when I owned the house, you know? Like, it, I don't know. it. It seems interesting that you would sell it to your son who his father was buried in the basement. Well, maybe like deep down somewhere in her, like she wanted him to find him. Maybe. I mean, I guess after that long amount of time, because it would have been, what, 30 years or more. Maybe after 30 years, she did want him to like kind of know. Maybe she was tired of keeping the secret or something. Or he hadn't been discovered for 30 years. So she was like, why is he going to be discovered now? It's been this long. That too. So naturally, Michael would often wonder about what happened to his father. And like eventually he needed answers, which I don't blame him. Kate, this is your favorite. He consulted a psychic. Ooh. So this psychic made a visit to their childhood home, to the childhood home, sorry. And according to Michael, the psychic immediately walked to the exact spot where the body was buried and said, the energy is here. Oh my God. Um, obviously, when he first saw this, he didn't know that. Right. Like, of course. He, and he was very he was very hesitant to believe anything that she said. Because, like, he explained that he considered him a, a man of science, himself a man of science. Because he's a respiratory therapist, which I just want to give, like, a quick shout out to those people. Because Shouts. I don't know how you handle some people's secretions. So, thank you for doing that. <laughs> okay, that was a really gross <laughs> sentence. I don't know how you handle some people's secretions. Just I, came out of your mouth, Rachel. 
really wish I had that. I just that's one thing today. I'm just gonna pick out of my brain and just toss it aside. Just and, then, that out. and then I will edit it and then hear it again Ugh. and then have to do it again later. But thanks, thanks for that. Yeah, it's true anyway. though. The people, oh, it's so bad, guys. So let's just saying. move past that because I don't want to think about it anymore. Um, sure. So he's a man of science. And therefore, he's a skeptic. But knowing that the body was found there later, it's like, what? Yeah, well, of course, then he turned to science. So he used ground-penetrating radar to see if there was anything down there. Something was indicated six feet below. Mm. And then naturally, Michael was determined to discover what was laying under the basement floor. Like, once you know there's something there, like, obviously, you have to find it. At one point, Michael was worried about disturbing the foundation of his whole house. Because you got to think about that. It's an old house now, too. Right. That's that's a very legitimate concern. But that didn't stop him, and he continued to dig. Sadly, Michael suffered from a stroke, and therefore he needed his two sons to take over for him, which he was only, in, I think he was 57 at the time the body was found. So he was in his mid-50s, which is sad. That is sad. And then here's a quote of him what he said to his kids afterwards quote i told my kids guys come on over here and help me out you've been watching me do this you get in here i think they felt bad for me because they knew this was important to me which like that just makes me so sad but like honored at the same time that also like their sons did that for him okay so on october 30th 2018 one of his sons went upstairs to tell his father that they had found something and he needed to come look at it. Christine's like, no, I would never do that. Call the cops. I don't want to be involved. And then this Which part is honestly... is probably the right course of business, I would say. If you think you have a body in your basement, perhaps don't dig it up. And then I'm just going to like paraphrase like what he said. But basically, it's after his stroke, it was difficult for Michael to get up and down the stairs. But he made it to the basement. All right, so here's a quote from Michael. I felt total peace. I felt vindication for my dad. I felt like he was dancing in heaven. I was like, oh, that's touching. Later, Suffolk County officials announced that the remains found were indeed a match to George Carroll. And then here's another quote from Michael. I took a chance. I could have done this whole thing and found nothing, and then I would have had a whole messed up basement. I have a messed up basement, but I'm really glad we found what we found. It puts my family at ease. I know his poor basement is... Yeah. Eh, material things can be fixed. Finding this is true. the body of your father and getting closure after a life of uncertainty is worth a little damage to your basement. But the problem is that there's only so much closure here. Because if anything... Right. I don't want to say... It, it, it leads to more questions. Like, honestly, what happened to George... And how in the heck did he end up in his own basement? And how did everybody around them conceal it for so long? Like, that's something else that's mind-blowing to think about. So the Suffolk County Medical Examiner confirmed that George was, in fact, murdered. And his cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. Now, this case is no longer considered a missing person. Even though it technically was never even filed this one. Um, but a homicide investigation. And at least something good to come out of this is that at least they were able to hold a funeral for him and they had they had him there for the funeral. So a funeral was held for George at Calverton National Cemetery, where his family members finally got their chances to say their final goodbyes. 
During the ceremony, bagpipes were played and there was an honor guard holding an American flag. And then here's a picture of his tombstone. And it says Carol George Gaffney, CPL USA, Korea, 1933 to 1963. So it says 1963 on his thing. And then it says never left. Which breaks my fucking heart. It's, I mean, it's true. I know. And then just a little bit about Dorothy Ethel Fabian Duress. She was born on May 6, 1934. She died at the age of 63 on April 17, 1998. I was able to... Okay, so you guys know on, like, Find a Grave, the website, how you can leave, like, memorials and send flowers and leave messages and stuff. Yes. Um, so one of the messages read, quote, May you be haunted and karma in your afterlife. God knows what you did. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, we've talked about Find a Grave quite a few times. I'm thinking about the, um, case of the kid who supposedly died in the dishwasher and then, like, the sources were all over the place and there was, like, no actual news sources. It was all, like, Reddit and then it was, like, is this a real thing? Is this a real person? That was the same thing with the Find a Grave, that there were, like, suspicious comments on, like, the supposed grave. Um, but that's, um, that's interesting to have there on the internet forever. Yeah, I also feel like that kind of says how people feel about it. And I feel like I feel like that person had to have some kind of tie. Like you're not just some random person, right? I guess. <laughs> Christine's like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> I think a random person would and could say that, actually. Yeah. All right. So theories. Obviously, the number one theory is that Dorothy was having an affair with Richard and either they both killed george together or richard killed him um like i said most people believe that richard did the heavy lifting here and dorothy kind of just helped keep it a secret and she took all the answers to her grave like literally on her deathbed michael asked if she wanted to reveal anything about where her father was or anything she refused she took it to the grave Ugh. Which also makes me more, I feel like you were involved. Yeah, that's very suspicious. So obviously, like, some questions arise here. If she knew that her husband was buried in the basement, why did she agree to sell the house to her son? Like, we talked about a little bit. Like, that seems so strange. And then, like, maybe she thought he would never choose to renovate, which he actually did, but just not in the basement. But he did put an addition on the house. And then I saw another theory that maybe one of the children were involved in his death like it was an accident and Dorothy did everything she could to cover up his death and like keep her children safe Mm, that would be hard with blunt force trauma yeah and the kids were all pretty young under age nine yes under age nine no I don't buy that one at all yeah so I think we kind of know what happened here um but I still feel bad obviously, for his family, and they're never going to get the answers they want because everybody's dead. So those answers died with them. Yeah, we once again arrive at the mixed bag of finding a body but getting no answers. Mm-hmm. But at least, like, I don't know. I feel like there also has to be something about I'm going to get, like, into, like, souls and that kind of stuff. But I feel like there also has to be something... And it must be easier for 
that soul like after being discovered. You know what I mean? Like the idea of just being buried in this basement for 50 years, nobody knows anything about you. Like I have to feel like that still has an impact on you, even if it's afterlife. Right. Actually being put to rest. Yeah. Is, yeah, significant, I would say. Okay. So that was the case of George Carroll. Now we're going to head on over to the case of Jacqueline Thompson, which is another listener suggestion. So shout out to Holly Joe. Thank you so much. Okay, so today I'm going to cover the case of Jacqueline Thompson, who went missing from the small town of Culver, Oregon, in September of 2001. There is next to no information on this case. Like, literally none. There are two articles by the same company, and then there's another one, but it's more like a forum. Um, So I really had to scour the internet. And it's honestly kind of crazy how there is absolutely no information. Um, But I still feel like it's important that we talk about Jacqueline because I, based on the lack of information I found, I feel like she was forgot about. So first, let's talk about Culver, which is actually a small town, guys. This is not a drill. Get ready. I think probably the smallest town we probably covered. This is a big thing for us. Kind of crazy. Small town mysteries. It's a small city. Well, that's what it's labeled as on Wikipedia, but whatever. Um, It's located in Jefferson County. This is a really long time ago, but I just had to include it because I think it's freaking insane. The population in 1930 was 62 people. Just the idea to think about that few people inhabiting one space is crazy. That is crazy. That's like all my neighbors are cows level of small. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> like, obviously, that's in the 30s, but that's still small for the 30s. Still. The population in 2000 was about 800 people. And then the population in 2020 was about 1,600 people. Culver finally hit the 1,000s sometime between the year 2000 and 2010, which is also crazy to think about. And also still very small. All right. Now about Jacqueline. So Jacqueline, age 28, was last seen around 1.30 a.m. on September 1st, 2001 at her house on Mink... No, no. On... Mintkin Lane in Culver, Oregon. According to her husband, Stephen Thompson, Jacqueline suffered from insomnia and would often go out for late night walks. So like that wasn't out of the normal for her. Steve states that he returned later on the day of September 1st after being away at some work thing for three weeks. He said that Jacqueline went out for a walk around 1.30 a.m. assuming she couldn't sleep. He also said that she had had several glasses of wine that night and he actually took away her car keys because he was worried about her driving because I think sometimes she would either go for a walk or she would go for a late night drive. He was concerned when his wife never came home. However, he never went out to look for her because he had to take care of their children, a daughter who was three at the time and then another daughter who was 12 at the time. Stephen called police on the day of September 2nd, 2001 to report his wife missing He claimed that he didn't call to report her missing earlier because he was convinced that she was coming back. On May 1st, 2003, remains were discovered by mushroom pickers about 25 miles southeast of Madras. Police have come forward stating that they believe Jacqueline did not die of natural causes, but did not release any information about cause of death or the state of which the body was in when it was discovered. And then just a little bit of information about Jacqueline. 
all I could find. She was originally from England. It's believed that she moved to the U.S. when she was a child. Her maiden name was Burdette. And then at one point, she worked at a restaurant in southeast Portland with her mother. And that's literally all I could find. That is a darth of information. I feel like we say that a lot about some of these cases, that it's hard to find information on them. Uh, But this really, and I know because Rachel had me help her out with some of the research on this because she was like, there's just nothing. Um, There's literally nothing. I mean, you look her up, you do the quotes on either side of your Google search so that you only get things that are directly like exactly those terms. And you get maybe two articles. I think there were two articles and then like another that was just pictures of missing women, like compiled. So not even really a source. It just had her name and a picture. Which was beneficial because there was no other picture we could find. But that being said, that's not a lot to go on at all. And this is not a case from so long ago that I would think the Darth of information would be reasonable. So just a little bit about Steve. Um, He grew up in southeast Portland. They lived in Portland, in the Portland area for about a year before moving to Culver. He was the last person to see Jacqueline alive. He claims that he had nothing to do with her death. Apparently, he's allowed officials to uh, search his belongings and home multiple times and have found no evidence linking him to her death. And then in addition, there was no insurance policy taken out on Jacqueline, which I feel like a lot of the time you hear, oh, the husband did it, but there's an insurance policy and all these things. But that's just not the case here. Theories. Stephen stated that his wife had some enemies in the Portland area. She had previously taken out a restraining order on one of her former business partners. This restraining order was issued in April 1999, 16 months before she disappeared. However, Jacqueline chose not to renew the restraining order after it ran out after one year. And her and Stephen moved to Culver about 130 miles away in 2000. So again, if she died and she went missing... In 2001, they'd only been there for a year. So pretty new there. And that's all the information I could find. Yeah. At the same time, so she just went out for a walk really late at night. Like a person could have come across her and it could have been a crime Mm -hmm. of opportunity as well. I feel like that's a huge possibility. I wonder if they did like canvassing the neighborhood at all at the time. But I feel like that's a massive possibility if she was alone late at night walking on a street somewhere and drunk yes very vulnerable i just wish there was it just sucks like i wish there was more because this this happened so long ago and there's i don't even have a full page some of these cases that we cover i think that's the most devastating part where we want to cover them and give due respect to this person who has lost their life but without information it's so hard to do that it's so hard to appropriately cover these cases, but these are just not okay covered. I just realized something. When did she what? go missing? When? Oh, September. Yeah. No, I know. I know. I know. Yeah. That's probably why. Yes. There's, there were no news coverage of her at the time. Mm-hmm. There wouldn't be. It would all be mm-hmm. of the Twin Towers. Everything would have been 9-11. 9/11. Yes. And there's also, I mean, you hear the stories of people who went missing in New York, like on september 10th that have never been found because they got lost in the whole shuffle of 9-11 yeah i think that's a perfectly viable explanation for why this case got so little coverage but even now like 
we, we've talked about this on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, too, is like even now, can't there be some investigator that's now looking into those past cases that were like at least to give them what they deserve? I, I know there's probably hundreds and thousands, but it just sucks. probably also fighting with so little information because of everything. So there's yeah. like there's probably a lot of dead ends. Yeah, a lot of the cases are probably cold at this point because no yeah. evidence was taken when it needed to be. But Right. This is one of like the colder cases I think we've covered. And, the, and that's entirely due to the lack of coverage and information about it. Like also the fact that if you don't put her name in quotation marks when you Google it, you will not find results on her. Like this is not there's nothing. I don't know. But at the end of the day, I think it's still important. Even if it's like little to no information, mm-hmm. it's still important to remember these people. Get her information out there and make it clear that people are still thinking about her and honoring her memory and desperately wishing there was more information and a more current investigation on this. Agreed. Yeah. No, that wasn't that long ago. Like her kids are probably still alive. Mm-hmm. Like she has relatives out there. Yeah, her husband is probably still kicking too. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You know, it's depressing. But thank Thanks, you Rachel. for our listener suggestions for that. <laughs> yes. Thank you, listeners. Um, I feel like I can't blame Rachel for this anymore. Like, whenever we have, like, a particularly devastating case, if it's a listener suggestion, I can't be like, oh, thanks, Rachel. Um, well, thank you to our listeners for your submissions. If you live in a small town, live near a small town, know someone who lives in a small town, or wish you lived in a small town, we'd love to hear about any weirdness that has gone down there. Uh, send us a DM at Small Town Mysteries pod on instagram where we will also have photos of everyone mentioned in this episode as well as information on the missing person christine highlighted at the beginning of the episode uh i think that's about it i'm gonna say the instagram again for you know just to really hammer that home at small town mysteries pod we'd love to hear from you if you want to send pictures of your pets all pets welcome i'm not even gonna specify anymore because all pets are welcome we love chatting with you guys about true crime so if you have a case that maybe it doesn't even happen in a small town, but you're like, I would love to hear more about this. I would love to hear someone cover it in depth. Let us know. Maybe we will. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if that's where you listen. We love reading those as well. They make us very happy. And yeah, keep up the good work, friends. We're, we're almost two years into this, so it's kind of crazy that we've been doing this for so long. <laughs> if we didn't have an audience, I don't think we would have gone this long, but because we still have people that like listen to our episodes and dm us with like suggestions it's like (laughs) we have an audience we should do this i think i'm i'm very grateful for this podcast i don't mean to get like so like lovey or whatever but i do feel like it does take it makes me take time out of my schedule Mm -hmm. to take time for me and for something that i'm passionate about Mm -hmm. so i i am i'm very grateful for that me as well so thank you for giving us the opportunity to do that And we'll see you next week. Come spiral with us next week. Bye. Bye.